Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. I'm having so much more fun now. I have let them show me how to live their way. This is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 227. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Freaky Magazine. I contribute material to every issue, so give it a try. Hey kids, have you read Freaky? The magazine of weird humor for freaks like you. Freaky Magazine is a way out collection of weirdo comics, kooky gags, photo funnies, social satire, and surreal collage. 52 pages of insanity in the tradition of magazines of yore like Cracked, Plop, and Zap. Special offer for Fun Ideas listeners, get a free sample copy in the mail, made of smelly newsprint and smudgy ink the old-fashioned way. Just message your mailing address to the slow poisoner at gmail.com that's the slow poisoner at gmail.com while supplies last you remember them from your childhood half for the friendly ghost richie rich hot stuff baby Huey, sad sack and little audrey you read them in comic books and saw them on television and in the movies now you can read about how they and other Harvey comic characters were created in two great books from Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions, The Best of Harveyville Fun Times and The Harvey Comic Companion. Both are available from Amazon. The Companion is also available from Fair Manor Media. They are available in hardcover, paperback, and ebook version. Order your copies today. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by PopOptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. The revised second edition of my Monkey's Book with Michael A. Ventrella, called Long Title, stars of Walt Disney Productions, and Pac-Man, the first animated TV show based upon a video game, are my latest books out now. Unconditionally Mad and not just Happy Together, the Turtles book, are in production. I'm also working on my TV cartoons at Time Forgot book, plus articles on cancelled Harvey titles, and making contributions to Freaky Magazine. On today's show, we have part two of my interview with Rob Stolzer with Camden Spees. So here we go. I think that's the problem with, I, I don't hate Bud Sagendorf's Popeye strip, but they're so slow. They seem to go on forever. 
might be an attention thing though too where we want things a little i mean you know look at today um you know if you're somebody who streams you know tv shows you know when a show is released oftentimes it's all released at once yeah. you know and i've got i've got friends who might stream an entire season you know in a weekend i i can't do that i can watch maybe three max of something i just don't have the patience yeah. to sit there and watch the whole thing but there you know back in the 30s you're having to wait every day you know for those comic right. strips to come out i once did a, a study for myself i think i did this during the 90s i compared strips from around 1931 to strips from whenever i did this comparison around 95 something like that how many words were in a strip Oh yeah. In the in the early 30s, late 20s, they average about 135 words in the strip, and in the contemporary comic strips, they average about 15 words in the strip. Part of that had to do with the shrinking size of the newspapers, right. uh, you know. So back then, the, the strips might have run across the entire page, and now they're running two column. But you know, the storylines are different now. They're mainly gag a day, yeah. or if they're if they're con continuity there'll be a little bit more of a dialogue, but you just can't have a lot anymore. So I think the strips have lost something, but I don't know that people have the patience to read 135 words every day. I, I have I have a question for you, Rob, because as someone who, who studies the art of comic strips, do you think there's a future for comic strips? Yeah. This, is, this is puzzled for years. People well, Mark, Mark, Mark wanted to ask something, then or, or interject something. Well, I will say that I'll add my two cents on that, and then I'll say the <laughs> other thing. But uh, yeah, as long as there's the internet, because comic strips don't have to be published in a newspaper. Right. There's that. Um, but I was going to say this about adventure strips in the past versus now, or even any sort of strip of continuity. You could even include Peanuts in that. In the older days, it seemed like, and Popeye did this a lot, You know, they did a recap strip of like what's been going on, because they assumed you missed it, you didn't read it every day, yeah. or something, or you need to be caught up, or maybe this is the first time you're seeing it, and it's ten weeks into the strip, you don't want to, you know, find ten right. weeks worth of newspapers. Nowadays, they assume you have the access to this, or if you if you're lost, you'll figure it out, right. you know. But you know, they don't or the, do that. Or a lot. the strip, or the strips aren't really reliant on what came before necessarily. Right. That too. Um, you know, yeah. This this week, uh, Patrick McDonald, Mc, McCon Patrick McConnell's been doing um, kind of these meta mutts, I call them, where there's strips about the characters being aware of where they are in a comic strip. And they're talking about the space of the strip and stuff. And they're, they're adorable. I mean, they're really fun sort of strips, but you know, you didn't have to know he did it on Tuesday to get the gag on Thursday, but all week he's been doing that. And I, I emailed Patrick about one of them because I thought it was really funny. He's like, you know, I've been doing this for like 30 years. I'm just trying to keep myself entertained, you know, at this point. And I know when I used to write and catch him, it was kind of the same thing. He always appreciated feedback, but he's like, you know, I've been drawing this kid for 40 years. It's like, <laughs> You know, 365 days a year, well, he wasn't doing Sunday pages, you know, 315 days a year, whatever, he's been doing the daily strip. And so I think at some point, these guys are just trying to keep themselves entertained, but they're not, they're not, they're not reliant on what happened, what happened before, or what happened. It's like, a, it's like a movie serial. You're not supposed to watch the movie serial episode after episode after episode. That's why, that's why they have those recaps at the beginning. You know, they right. were meant to be played yep. in a movie theater not directly in front of each other. Well, I think my, 
you also notice if you look at older strips, oftentimes the Saturday strips are oftentimes kind of loosely tied to the story, but not integral because they realized people weren't commuting on Saturdays. Usually yeah. they weren't as invested on in Saturdays. And so you weren't seeing that exact same sort of uh, continuity that you might other, otherwise. I mean, I always liked, by the way, when you said the mutts, I've I've been a big Mort Walker fan, particularly Beetle Bailey, really just Beetle Bailey. But I also love his magazine cartoon work. But I also really love his strip Sam strip, mm-hmm. like the comic strip within a comic strip. I love that. And I yeah. remember visiting the Mort Walker thing. They had something at Columbia University. My brother went to school there, so he took so he flew me up there, and I got to go and see it. I got the camp swappy hat and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but then I remember sitting and I guess the statue of Beetle Bailey there. But I remember getting this book called Sandstrip. Like I've never seen it, and then you see, like you know, him referencing you know New York World cartoons with the giant globe and everything. And I'm like, this is the sweetest thing I've ever seen because this like this is like a comic strip world. You know, he's bathing with Donald Duck or whatever. Yeah, and they're very popular now. They're the originals. Yeah, I remember when uh, Mort Walker put out. Uh, my life with the strips or something it came out in '73. You probably have it. Backstage, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, a backstage with the strips, I think. Yeah, yeah, backstage with the yeah. strips. Thank yeah. you. Uh, anyway, that's where I first heard about Sam Strip because you know I'm, I didn't grow up in the '60s, even though I was born in '66. Uh, so I said, "Man, I wish I could see those strips. They sounded really neat. They had a couple examples, but you know, it wasn't until years later, and that's probably the book you're referring to, Candace. Yeah, the one, the one all of them. Done. And I go, that's why." You know, like we said earlier, Camden, this is why you're growing up at the best time because, yeah, you just. I have the internet. If I wanted just, to look it up, you I could just order that. You know, yep. uh, I could just <laughs> drool over the two examples that were in Backstage at the Strips and hope I could see some more someday, maybe if I found an old newspaper collector. But, but that's, <laughs> you know, but that's. I, you know, when Blackbeard's Smithsonian book came out, I think that was a game changer. Yeah. Because. You know, while, you know, I've got all my Hyperion books are up on the shelf up here. I've got my, my Galewitz book might be, I don't know if it's here, if it's downstairs. Uh, I've got a lot more books downstairs. Uh, but the the Blackbeard book changed everything because it was beautiful. I mean, it was a real production, a real high-end production. And for those of us who were interested in that stuff, we didn't see that before. Yeah. I mean, Galewitz... You know, he you would find like, you know, Winnie Winkle, the breadwinner strips where he had touched up the strips really horribly. Like he might have used a flare pen or something <laughs> to do it. But that's what you had because there wasn't unless you were collecting the tear sheets or the clip dailies, which I didn't really know anybody who was at the time. Um, that's what you had. So, you know, seeing the Blackbeard stuff is like, holy that just that like what's yeah, your, your appetite for more stuff? Yeah, exactly. That was me for Brian Walker's book too, though, because I was just all I was familiar with was Beetle Bailey and Blondie. I wasn't even familiar with Blondie when it was actually a really, really good strip from like yeah. the early days. Yep. And I was and Beetle Bailey and Blondie, and I was just familiar with you know Garfield and all that stuff. But but then I'm like looking at you know I didn't understand Poco <laughs> at the time, but I'm looking at you know. Popeye and I'm like, but Popeye's a comic strip or I'm looking at, you know, bringing up father or I'm looking at whatever. And I'm like, this stuff is so cool. Or I'm looking at Superman or something like that. So you keep referring to yourself, yourself as like not having been around then. And so like, you know, you're, you're just now, 
discovering this stuff. And I'm actually kind of envious of that because you're getting to dis- you're getting to discover this stuff that I think is such a vital. I don't know if it's not a purely American art form, yeah. but the states has had a big part in the development of the in the development of that art form. And um, you've got so much that you're going to be seeing that just kind of blows your mind. That's why. You know, I love introducing that stuff to my students because they didn't know who Bill Malden was. They yeah. didn't know they didn't know who Cliff Starrett was. I mean, the difference is I had to discover for myself, which is more fun that way. Yeah. Well, but, the, but the cool part now, this is what I'm trying to say, is you have the benefit of the internet. So if you exactly. want to say, if there's a book about the Gumps, let me see. Type in the yeah. Gumps. <laughs> yeah. There hey, it is. What will I do? Hey, it's a thousand dollars, but hey, one exists, and I can see <laughs> right now. When we were kids, meaning Rob and I. Yeah, I don't know if there's a book about the gums. Maybe there they, is. And there, you'd look, there were, you'd, but they you'd, were you'd from... look in classified ads. Nobody'd be advertising because yeah. nobody cared, you know. And it's like, and then you go to like comic shows, and since it was really old from the twenties, nobody had it, and so you didn't know for sure. And then you'd find some collector weirdo that was like eighty years old that had like everything, you know. And then you know, you go, okay, I guess there was a book, you know. Yeah, but then, but the, how do you the find joy, it? You know, and the joy of that was. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Cu- Couples and Leon was one of the early comic strip publishers. Yeah. They reprinted they re- reprinted comic strips in the 20s and 30s. So they reprinted um, a lot of the Smitty comic strips, Dick Tracy. They did like nine volumes of Little Orphan Annie. When I discovered those, that then I started hunting around used bookstores and stuff. And you could find them coverless, you know, for 15 bucks, 20 yeah. bucks. Yeah. And then Dover did their reprints from those books in the... 70s and 80s and then after that we started getting into some of the newer reprints but the reprints have always been around it's just that you know if you didn't grow up in the 20s you didn't know about them until you you stumbled across them and even today you know there's there's um are either of you guys familiar with george storm ring a bell so um in the hyperion books um bobby thatcher was one of his main was one of his main characters. And then um, he ghosted for another comic strip. Um, and Couples and Leon did a Bobby Thatcher comic as well. But that's really it for for George Storm. And he was a brilliant cartoonist. Somebody on one of the Facebook groups, um, D.D. Deggs, I think, um, reprinted a, a Swiss Family Robinson story that he did in comic strip form. And it is some brilliant drawing. And so he's somebody... A cover and a blog because that's the thing there's not a lot out there on him um i've only seen one original comic strip piece of comic strip art by him in 45 years of collecting i don't know if it all got destroyed and he was a prolific artist um, but there's still a lot of guys who are like that out there that they're not your cigars that everybody knows about or harriman or gould or those guys but there's some really incredible cartoonists that yeah. you know just sort of they, they died and are forgotten now I read an art. I wrote an article, and this made me feel good. I wrote an article about Ralph Heimdall, who did the Bugs Bunny comic strip, and his daughter. And a week later, his daughter emailed me saying, "I loved your article. I want to do another one with you." Hmm. I'm doing another one with her. Well, and that's that's the way that somebody gets to be known by an audience, right. I and mean, that's that's the reason why I do the Inkslinger, you know, blog. I'm not making any money off it. I'm not monetizing no. it in any way. But I've. You know, I, I did a, a piece about um, George Clark and the panels 
he did during World War II. George Clark is one of the greatest cartoonists in cartoon history, as far as I'm concerned, just in terms of sheer like draftsmanship, sheer drawing uh, capability. Well, I heard from two of his grandchildren how thankful they were. That, yeah. and, and through that, I discovered that one of uh, Clark's sons is still alive, living in Buffalo. So he's somebody I need to contact because that's something I could turn into a, a Hogan's Alley piece if I can get to him in, in time, not to be not to be morbid. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing you run into. There's not many people left, you know, from those yeah. periods. I mean, Michael Tisserand, you know, got to visit with, with a Harriman's granddaughter. And so that added a lot to the book because yeah. there weren't many people with firsthand knowledge. And, you know, she was a kid when he died. So her recollection of him, of him wasn't all that great, but I think it's really important. Anybody who's involved in this field, you know, interview people when you can, or talk to people who knew, who knew these people, because again, those firsthand, those firsthand experiences, you just, you don't know, when they're going to disappear on you. <laughs> I know that firsthand for yeah, well, people I've interviewed like, for some of my books. Yeah. No. Well, I, I mentioned Russ Johnson before. I mean, if I had procrastinated by two months, I would have missed him. My, you know? so I'm it's like, with, Mark knows I'm friends with Skip Craig, who's, who is a senator in Rocky and Bullingville. I call him or he calls me every month, okay, on the phone just to talk. Yeah. Today we were on discussion with Al Kilgore's Bullwinkle comic strip, which I think is the best adapted comic strip of the cartoon show ever yeah. written. Because it's just exactly like the cartoon in uh, every Kil way. Kilgore was a fantastic illustrator. I love him. I, yeah. I just posted an artwork I saw online of his, of his of <laughs> Chaplin and Keaton yep. doing on Facebook. Um, because you know they reprinted books of those things. Some anonymous person, unlicensed, did a great reprint of those two comic strips. Those mm. comic um, which I was actually Mark, Jerry, and Curtis Finley's guinea pig because I bought them before they did. Like, like what's quality like? <laughs> yeah. But um, but so I have them now, <laughs> and I have yeah, the second door Popeye one too. I don't know if there's no. That was you who told me about that one. Oh, okay. I did yeah. not know about that one, but that's the same guy. That's true. Yeah. I didn't um, know the order of things, but I know I got all three books. I don't think yeah, there's yeah, any more the that I've seen. Me yeah. about Sagendorf, and I did yeah, for yeah. Curtis, and then Curtis once again says, what's the quality? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting, though, is here we're having this Zoom discussion that you guys are recording, and I wish I had, I wish I had that with older collectors that I knew. Yeah. Um, I, I, I had a no, good friend... Yeah. I had a good friend, Cy Schechter, who actually worked for famous, famous, was a famous studios. He was yeah. an in-between, he was an in-betweener. Oh, yeah. He was an in-betweener on Popeye in the 50s. And he was like, he said, you know, he was just, he admitted he was just a schlock artist. All he was doing was tracing animation drawings basically <laughs> on the on the on the celluloid. Uh, yeah. but he's a guy who had been collecting since the 30s and and went to visit Billy DeBeck in his studio in 1935. I have the drawing, the little drawing up there. I don't know if you can, this one, you can't really see it. Oh, wow. Getting a first-hand look. This is the drawing that Cy got from Billy DeBeck in 1935 when a 19-year-old uh, Fred Laswell was drawing, was assisting yeah. DeBeck. Yeah. And I so, do like Fred stuff, too. Yeah, so I I just think it's real. I mean, so I I have 
I have a wealth of knowledge from Cy just because we talked almost every day. He was living in the Bronx and his tastes went towards jazz and towards blues. And I mean, we talk about politics, we talk about comic strips. Yeah. He was so fully invested in this stuff, but we've lost a lot of those people now. I mean, Artwood, Artwood was somebody I talked to quite a bit. He's gone. Walter Lawrence was somebody who taught me a lot about early illustration work. You know, he's gone. So all these older collectors yeah. pass away and we don't have like a repository of, you know, of their knowledge base. I think it's really important. And, you know, you know, on my computer, I've got digitized interviews. I don't know anybody who wants them. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I've post them online, put them up here. You know, so, hey, yeah, some of my code. Yeah, yeah give them the camera. There we go. <laughs> I, I, I lo- I'd love to see them be in an archive, though. But the question I've had yeah. asked is, who owns the copyright to them? Yeah. And I don't know what I, the answer to that is. Yeah. I mean, I've got, you know, I went to Rick Yeager's house in the late '80s, early '90s. Uh, to interview him um because when dennis was doing um what was the book dennis was oh he was doing the um the russell keaton book uh sky roads and keaton was an early was an early assistant for um for dick hawkins of buck rogers and so jaeger knew him from there i mean he was just that he was a hoot and a half. I mean, I'd go in there, he's playing the piano, he's got a saber-toothed tiger skull on his piano. I mean, he had um he'd tell me about, you know, uh Calkins um watercolors of spaceships that they had in the studio, you know, Buck Rogers spaceships that they had dangling from the ceiling. Um, that stuff is just gold, and I don't I don't know what'll happen to that stuff, you know. My wife won't know where they are on my hard drive. Um, So I've got to find a place for that stuff because a lot of what I have now is digitized. You know, I still have a lot of paper, but um, a lot of then that's what I hope to use the blog in some ways for as well, to be able to host that stuff. Yeah. Now, without taking it down, I was going to ask you about the stuff on your wall. You don't have to take it down, but what other uh, goodies do you have on the wall behind you? (laughs) I remember the one I interviewed Rob, one of the, Coolest things you had was uh, was that was for those Schultz pieces you have. You don't have a Schultz. You didn't have a Schultz strip, but you had some other cool Schultz pieces. Well, I will move my camera. Let me see yeah. if I can do this without making you guys seasick. Oh, okay. There's a Schultz drawing from sure. the butternut butternut bread. Oh, cool. Ad campaign. I've got a couple. I think I've got three. I've got one of Lucy at her at her doctor's booth, okay. and I've got one of uh, on the back wall of. A pencil prelim of Charlie Brown, and I think I've had two pencil prelims by Schultz, which I really love. We were talking about uh, Patrick McDonald. Oh, Mutt's Mutt's, a Mutt's Daly. I was from a trade with him. Sorry about the shakiness. That's okay. There's a Barney Good Billy DeBeck signed check with a little drawing of Barney Google on it. Oh. Um, That's a lot of money then. <laughs> well, there's we moved to the uh, there's there's our man George Harriman. There's a oh. studio photograph of him. So I've got a Harriman corner here. This is um, a Sunday page there. I think that's 1919. Then I've got two Sunday pages in front of my oh, computer. Wow. One from 1917. <laughs> More stuff up than I thought. <laughs> yep. Sorry. Sorry. That's about okay. That. That's okay. Yep. And then got a Spiegelman. Right, he's directing the camera to you. Spiegelman. <laughs> there's a Spiegelman. So I did a I did a trade with Art, and I was very Thrilled with what he sent me, and Camden. I know you don't like this one, but there's a Popeye yeah. drawing. So, <laughs> so what, yeah, what is 
What is that? I've got, I've, I've got yeah. you know, flat file. I've got more stuff there, and I've got flat files just filled with stuff. So, what was that yeah. Popeye of? Is that's that the other thing I always struggle with is wall space. This was done for. Um, there was oh. a there was a guy named Francis Greeley who oh, okay. must who must have been somebody because um, <laughs> the collection really featured some really some really top notch drawings. I mean, at this okay. point, I think this is about. You know, probably around 1933, 34, somewhere around there, just yeah. by the style. Um, you know, and at that point, um, he wasn't sending out drawings to people. He had a, he had a, he cut a stencil that he would have of like a, a headshot, head and shoulder shot of Popeye. I actually owned the stencil at one point and sold it. Um, that he would have like Sagendorf would trace the stencil, and that's what they would send out to fans. So. Um, oh, okay. I'll never, I'll never be able to afford a Thimble Theater daily again, and so this showed up at auction a few years ago, and I, I grabbed it because it was pretty affordable, uh, especially what, compared to what they're what worth. What are those strips over your right shoulder? Um, <laughs> down, down below. Yeah, that one was. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a pogo. Okay, and then right um, above it. Um, that oh, that's a um a bring up father from oh, okay. Jig, Jig Jigs in Japan, okay. and then up top. Um, is there's a very early Pat Sullivan daily strip before oh. before Felix the Cat. Oh, cool. So that's oh, yeah. I think about a nineteen. What was what's is there a name to the strip? That one was called. Um... <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, yeah, before it's on, before it's Sullivan, on, it's, it's on when my Sullivan own. actually drew back when Sullivan actually. Oh, drew. oh yeah, no that that was it was something like. Something along the line of like Johnny Boston Beans or something. Okay. It's on yeah. my comic art. It's on my, my comic art. So he he assisted uh Billy Mariner for a while. Um in this before he got into animation and before he got into Felix the Cat. He assisted Billy Mariner and Billy Mariner drew a strip that was similar to that. And then after Mariner passed away, or maybe maybe Mariner was still alive at that point. He died in a fire. Um, Sullivan drew that strip for a couple of years or so, something like that. Not a very long time. I mean, those those early days of comic strips. A lot of these guys drew a lot of strips. I mean, Harriman, you know, drew a ton of comic strips, and it wasn't until Crazy Cat that he had that strip for a long time. Even even then, he drew. Yeah, but Wizard McKay had like eighteen different strips that lasted a week. <laughs> uh, some, sometimes they just had one-off strips. There might be a one Sunday page. I mean, it was amazing how many some of these guys have. Do you guys have? Um, do, I, I love. Little, that's why I love Alan Holtz's blog. You have his book. I, I do not. Oh I wow! I do not have his book. It's a little bit expensive, but this is my Bible. Because Alan, how much is it now? Do you think? Alan, what's it? How much is it? One. Um, well, you know, it's published by University Press. I think it was seventy-five new. I got a comp copy because I've got a blurb on the back cover. Because hey. being an academics, they that has some weight, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but Alan, the thing about Alan's research is he would not. I love include, his blog. I read his blog every day. Oh, it's he's great. He would not include anything unless he had physical proof that it existed. Yes. Whether a photocopy or whether a tear sheet, he he had to lay eyes on it. So I have found so few mistakes in this, and he'll admit that you know it's it that's not the be all and end all because more information still has come out. Um, but it's an I mean that's the only book I keep literally on my desk. Because if I'm looking up something, it's like reach for it, and there it is. 
Can you show the cover again? Yep. So how much you say that 75 new, you said? At the time it came out, it was 75. I don't know what it is. I mean, if it, if it's still being published by um, University of Michigan Press, then the price should be about what it was if it's still in print. Yeah. And it comes with a CD, but I'll be honest, I've never used the CD. So um, I just use it for the for the reference inside. Mm-hmm. What's nice about it is he'll he'll talk about ghosts if there's if there's evidence of somebody ghosting a strip. Yeah. Um, but He's pretty good on he's pretty good on start and end dates when he has firm information. Um, but it, again, you could look up different people. It's like there's a whole list of the strips that they drew, and some of them might have appeared twice or one time. And if he's seen a, if he's seen an example, it goes it went in the book. So I don't know what it goes for now, but that that's definitely. I mean, if you're interested in the history of the field. To me, it's an invaluable resource. You know, the the problem with a book like that for a lot of collectors is there's there's no pictures. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I have no CD, problem with that. The CD has the examples on it, and yeah. I, I don't I don't need the CD for that. Yeah. So I just I just want it for the information. Um, so now we not, have the internet. I can just if I need the example, I can just look it up online. Right. If you can find it on the internet, though, that's the thing. Some of these things you can't yeah. even find online. Yeah, that's valid too. This, but this is on, his blog exists. This is on Amazon. Not saying that you can't find yeah. it cheaper, but paperback 150, hardcover 300. So, <laughs> I I wonder though. I wonder if um if the university press still has it. They might. And yeah. yeah, I usually recommend doing that, going directly through publishers, yep. because even if they may not say it's in stock, they or might have a authors. few spare copies around. You know, you might even contact you might even contact Alan himself and see if yeah. he's got a copy he wants to sell you. Yeah, do a trade or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I will tell you that's been one of the nice perks having been in the field so long as I've helped out on so many books that have gotten a lot of comp copies on stuff. Like I've noticed good- that too. I noticed that being younger than a lot of people. People will either give me free copies of books, like, or they'll because they'll just like enjoy it. Yeah, you've given me you've given me free copies of books before. So is Laura Leibovitz, writes Jack Benny column and other people. Or they'll like be like, like, hey, I got this stuff that you don't I don't want. You want it? I'm like, sure. And I'll be like a 1931, 33 Little King bound copy leather book or something. Right. But that's what well, somebody I, sent me. That's what somebody sent me the other day. I mean, when Chris Ware was editing the um, Fantagraphics Crazy Cat series, you know, I had some cool Harriman things. I've got a number of photos of yeah. Harriman that he didn't have, so I gave them to him. And so I've got the three hardcover volumes of the Fantagraphics books, as well as all the paperbacks. And you know, they're expensive now, so yeah. they were just nice to get comp copies. That's so why I'm glad that they're reprinting them right now. Yes. Well, there's not much money in the field or in this part of the field, as far as I can tell. But I've I hope they keep doing them, though. As long as they can make a buck on them, they will. Because, um, because I'm, I've, because, but I've heard that Gary Groth is committed to finish. Like I've heard that Gary Groth, though, when he starts something at Panographic, he finishes it usually, though. I I don't know I don't know Gary very well. I used to work with Kim Thompson. Uh, when he was alive, he was my my connection there, um, and I never really worked with Gary directly, so I don't I don't know much. I, I, don't know much I I've worked him. with Gary, and I, yeah, I think it's a fair assessment. Okay. Yeah, that yeah, he he does like to carry things through to the end, unless it's somehow impossible, usually contractually or something that he can't right. continue it beyond the. Like, but yeah. like, 
I know that he's on, I've gotten every volume of Pogo so far, which I love about Pogo. I don't understand Pogo, but I hope, but I'm really going to miss those R.C. Harvey columns at the end of those fanographic Pogo books because that was the way I understood the strip by reading it. And if yeah. I didn't understand something, I could just go to the back of the book and there would always yeah. be a great explanation. And I was able to follow that strip and love it so well. Yeah. Now he's no longer with us. So I hope. Yeah, Bob, Bob's, Bob's, pa Bob's passing was a big, was a big loss. Um, and the thing that cracked me up about Bob's writing was, you know, if there's a $3 word instead of a 25 cent word, he would use it. You know, he was, he was a real wordsmith, but he, yeah. when he went into a subject, I mean, his Kniff book is pretty amazing. I mean, the level of detail. And I checked that out of the library, of the library work at. I read it. Yeah. I worked at a public library. It happened that that, that that book happened to be like one of the only biographies of a cartoonist on their shelf because it's a small library. Yeah. But I've read it and I thought it was really well done. Yeah. No, he was an excellent writer. And again, we're just losing people. You know, he, yeah, was, involved, he, he was involved in the field for a long time. And, his and, and, he was, and he was a hell of a cartoonist himself, too. His whoever did that documentary with him, Tom, he was telling me about Bob's Popeye book that's been in the works. That, mm. that he, um, it's called Popeye Master of the Medium. I pre ordered it. It's, um, now I know you're good friends with Fred Grandinetti, Mark, but I think this, I think this by far beats Fred's book. Well, if you listen to my podcast with Fred, I didn't even buy the history of the strip book by Fred. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, and no offense to Fred and he knows because I told him directly, it's like, it, it, it seems like more of his personal experiences with Popeye more than a, a direct history. And so that's fine. It's just not for me. So it's like, but I have his other books on the cartoons because they're great, you know, because, yeah. you know, <laughs> I like, I love Fred's Jack Mercer book. That's the book I really like. Yeah. Fred. I have the Mercer book and I have the '60s Popeye. I know you don't. Like I have not bought that yet, but I've heard but it's I, really good. I, I I recommend it. We even both said it on the podcast. It's like it's it's the most thorough book, so you don't ever have to watch those cartoons again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think the, I, I, I think the level is here. Most people hate those cartoons. I like them. Uh, Fred loves them, so it's like <laughs> there's there's your level of yeah. <laughs> anyway. I'm but. But it's called Popeye Master of the Medium. In fact, there's a Comic Con convention panel on just on that book. Yeah, that Jerry is on, and a lot of other people are on. Um, and it's all about the Fleischer cartoons. But even the radio show has its own chapter. I've heard. But like, it's supposed to be really good, and I've and I've pre-ordered it from Hermes Press. It's yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I just did you pre-order it? And then you mentioned uh, Pogo before. One of the things I find interesting about Pogo is I think I think the main character is the most boring of the characters <laughs> in the strip. Um, I mean, I I've got I think I've got four or five strips. I think Kelly's work is one of the great bargains in comic art because there's so many out there. Yeah, uh, you know, for I've seen them. I've seen them in my age for like a hundred dollars on eBay before. Oh, you like... you can find them pretty. But I, I love the bat characters and i love like the little mouse character and churchy i think i think the the yeah. secondary characters and the characters are some of the best characters the bat characters the wordplay with them just cracks me up you my know, favorite so. is albert just because 
he almost reminds me of Kelly himself. I know he's kind of like, because he's got the cigar and he's like, he's like a mix between Kelly himself, but he's also almost like Groucho in a little bit too. And he's like, he's so arrogant. I like him. <laughs> Hopefully he didn't drink as much as Kelly did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, in a certain way, you know, it sounds like Pogo's like Charlie Brown and Albert's like Lucy or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe not exact correlation, but I mean, I know yeah. each uh, comic strip artist and writer has aspects of their own personality in every character. Sure. It's it's unavoidable. You have to. It's autobiographical. You said yourself. In, in <laughs> some ways, Schultz's characters hold up, though, because everyone can relate to them, too. Yeah. Because, like, I always saw that Charlie Brown was my favorite character because I was bad at sports. I always felt like sometimes because I had nothing in common with anybody, I would often feel like I'd have no friends, unfortunately, yeah. even yeah. though I did. Just didn't understand it at the time, right? Yeah. But but so I also always related to Charlie Brown in a way. Yeah, I I related to Charlie Brown for the same reasons, and then Linus because I have an older sister who, in the past, she's not that way now, but in the past she's a lot like Lucy, and she mm. hated the comparison. <laughs> it was tr- true. <laughs> she, was a, she was a fuss budget, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so a lot of those uh, iconic like late sixties, early seventies Sunday strips where it's Lucy and Linus just going at each other about the blanket or, uh, you know, chocolate milk or whatever, yeah. you know, it's like those, like, it's like, it's almost like Charles Schultz was hiding in my closet, writing down <laughs> things, saying, my this favorite, actually happened, you know, it's like. My know. favorite peanut strip that I relate to, and this is me, 100%, as you can see by my comic <laughs> books in the back of my room right here, where I'm looking for my comic books to see which one I haven't read a hundred times, and I'm looking, and I got cereal out in the kitchen that's gonna go soggy, and then oh, that one, yeah, yeah, the cereal that's, soggy. <laughs> that's me. That 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 strip of his, I'm like, this is a hundred percent me. I have been here. Yeah. Well, a book I am looking forward to that comes out next month, I believe, is uh, Bill Griffith's book about Ernie Bushmiller, that three mm-hmm. yeah, three yeah. rocks. Yeah. It's uh, weird that. I never found he... Ernie Bushmiller good until I got older, and then I'm like, wait, this is like... I think everybody what? does that. <laughs> yeah, Bush, Bushmiller was the first was the first what I considered adult comic strip I understood as a kid, and I don't know, I just sort of got the gags, yeah. but there's something so wonderfully dumb about Bushmiller. Yeah. Um, I mentioned the um, old Sulin conventions, I mean, they used to sit on a table, they had a stack of dailies for five bucks each and nobody wanted. But I think once Dennis started publishing the Bushmiller books, all of a sudden people really got to see the genius of Bushmiller. Yeah. And um, I read Griffith's, um, the book he wrote about his mother. Um, um, I can't remember which card, was it Lawrence Larrier she was seeing? A magazine cartoonist. It was brilliant. I mean, he really, I mean, I know a lot of people know him from Zippy, but in, I think in terms, of, very in terms of being a storyteller, he's incredible. And I think yeah. um, I think this book he's doing, I think, is going to be really something. So I, I think Zippy is my favorite current running strip still. Ah. Uh, Camden, have you ever talked to Bill? I've never talked to Bill. I would love you to. Should, you should. He's, he's a fun guy. Yeah. He's, he's very knowledgeable. Yeah. And I met him a few times, you know, because he's been at conventions out here on the West Coast. Because uh, I I used to live in California, but I'm in Oregon now, so it's like yeah. I used to see all these guys in San Francisco and stuff. Right. 
And, I think the reason why I never also got Nancy, though, because the very first Nancy I saw was the guy who came after Nancy. Kai Gilchrist. <laughs> oh, God. I always thought, and I, even before I knew who he was, I thought, like, you know, this is a lousy strip. Yeah. Well, there was, I think, Mark, Mark Lasky, was he? <laughs> Plus, he no, had... it was, no, it was Guy Gilchrist was the guy who was on fucking. No, I know, yep. but Mark, La Mark Lasky did this, Lanskier Lasky did the strip for, a couple years, but he died very young. Yeah, and he yeah. was kind of faithful. I liked Jerry Scott's version of the strip. It, yeah. it was kind of an animated version. He wasn't trying to be Bushmiller, but he wasn't trying to be too over the top. Um, but yeah, the Gilchrist, I wasn't such a fan of. I think yeah. that's one of the reasons why I like Little Abner, the strip. I think the reason why I don't care for it as much as other people do, though, is because I learned more about Al Cap than I should have before actually <laughs> being able to dwell into the strip. I learned about Al Cap more. I learned about Al Cap's life through Brian Walker's book a little bit too, right. about right. his anti-communist thing and about his, yeah. you know, growing and living in Alabama. You also learn about, you know, his his touring of the University of Alabama. Yep. Um. So you learn about that before you even read about a week's the date a week's worth of his script. His strip is really good, but it kind of spoils well, it. Well, and I will say, though, I've never been a big Abner fan. Um, I think it's a beautifully drawn strip that's not mm -hmm. very well written. And I've just, I've never, I've got some of the books and the continuities. Yeah. I, I feel like, wait wait a minute. Where we, how <laughs> we, and and it's, it's gorgeous. I mean, the artwork yeah. is gorgeous. But yeah. I've never, the writing has just sort of left me cold. So I've never cared that much about the strip and you know politics aside i mean he started off he was pretty much a lefty in the beginning and then as time went on he became more and more you know of a right winger um but I, you know the strip it's i mean but it's all subjective i know people who are big fans of the strip yeah i think it's largely because of but you know um bob harvey and i used to talk about some strips and you know he always wanted to do a, a comic-con panel really talking about the visual and the verbal of strips. And yeah. I think oftentimes art collectors are really looking at, at the ver at the visual and they're not yeah. really caring. And it's one reason why I have no desire to collect um, contemporary comic book art, because if it, if it doesn't have the text on it, yeah. I, I, don't I, want, Mark, I don't want an empty. So, you know, Mark and I have talked, to, talked, talked for ages about how we don't even care about the, the contemporary art of comic books. Well, you know, but I will say, like, Farrell Dalrymple, I don't know if you follow Farrell's stuff. Well, we're talking about superhero guys, really. Well, Farrell's done some superhero stuff, not much. He's done Omega, uh, but he still hand letters all of his comics. Mm -hmm. um, he's kind of an eclectic stylist. I like his work a lot. Um, Tony Sandoval, uh, the Mexican artist who's living in Paris now, or I guess he's in France, um, he still hand letters his, his work. Um, and and odd sort of stories that I dig, beautiful watercolors. Um, but to me, that's I mean, that's what comics is. It's not just pictures, you know. It's it's that that marriage yeah. of visual and verbal. And I I've never understood like having a page that doesn't have anything on it except pictures. I mean, I know you could print overlays and all that stuff, but I think I don't know. I have no interest in collecting that stuff. I think I know. That's Mad so good though too. Mark's writing a Mad book, yeah. a book about Mad Magazine, and I love Mad Magazine particularly in its first two decades. But because it's not really just because of the art, and they had great artists, but it's really because of what they were saying. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm I have a writing background, and you know I think it stemmed from my dad because you you were mentioning Little Abner. Little Abner was one of my dad's favorite strips growing up. He's still around; he's eighty five, but he noticed that it was kind of like certain soap operas that there was. You know, you're talking about the pacing on sort of some adventure strips. Some little Abner concepts just went on and on and on. And it's like, all right, we got the joke here. And it'd just be more and more and more. Or yeah. it'd be the same joke just a year later. Sadie Hawkins right. Day. Again and again and again and again. And it's like, I'm sure that they were all little shortcuts uh, because he had to churn out so much material. But, you know, it just kind of hurt my dad's interest in the strip over the long haul because... Um, he, he likes good writing more than, you know, in, you know, I've gone on record, you know, that, you know, since we mentioned animation, that the greatest animated series ever is Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yes. And it probably has the worst animation ever, you know, and, uh, you know, and that's how much I like good writing. Um, you know, so it has to be the marriage of the two. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because, um, and my son used to love the uh, Nick Parks clay claymation um, oh, pieces. Yeah, I mean the Wallace and Gromit. But even he did that. He did a, a series of shorts. Uh, pre, I think it was pre Wallace and Gromit, and they were kind of for kids, but maybe more for adults. But you know, like on the sheep. And uh, no, it's 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 before it's before he did penny cartoons that were on PB's Playhouse. Well, he no, he did something about. Um, um, it was almost like like set as a documentary about these animals. Oh, uh, yeah, What's you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and then he did the one with the ant creature the, comforts. Creature comforts. Yes, the one with the her the the girl's aunt who, yeah. who gets who gets who dies, but he, she comes back because she's forgotten her handbag, and she has this whole conversation with the devil. And we were looking at this stuff, going, "This is just so effort weird." But is brilliant. I mean, the writing, it was not for kids, no. you know, but on some <laughs> level it was for kids as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, the little Abner thing is interesting because, again, it's all context for me. For whatever reason, there was a hillbilly craze in this country at that time. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know if part of it was, you know, photographers who were documenting Appalachia at the time, you know, during the WWPA. But you had, you know, Barney Google all of a sudden, you know, goes into Appalachia and finds Snuffy Smith. You've got Little Abner. I mean, all this is happening at the, all this is happening at the same time, and and stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum. We look at it, you know, a hundred years later, eighty years later. It's like, okay, well, this is bad or this is good, but for some I mean, reason, public became fascinated by stuff. I mean, time. like Disney was even doing like stuff like Make My Music, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and oh, the so, and the boys, that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, so, no, yeah. yeah the, the the. Well, what what year did um, the Grapes of Wrath come out? Uh, forty one, I believe. Okay, so that now, my dad been... my dad lived it actually. He was born in Oklahoma. Right. Uh, he, you know, he, he didn't live there very long, but the Dust Bowl was going on. So, yep. uh, and then uh, he was born in thirty eight. So you know, <laughs> and then came out to California. They lived in Riverside, Bakersfield, and everything, and then he. When his brother was born in 41, they went back to Oklahoma because some of the family was still there and then came out. Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm also trying to think of a movie maybe that is more. 
lot of those Steinbeck novels are like like that. Cannery Road, Mice and Men, you know, all Mice that Men's the only yeah. one I've read. So I'm yeah. even thinking about uh, Gary Cooper and Sergeant York, which I think read took more, place in read more Steinbeck, Camden. Yeah, good. took place in Tennessee, and you know, so I guess in context again. You know, there's not a lot of movies about Appalachia at the time. There's no inter- there's no internet about Appalachia. There's no you know life life pictorials yeah. about Appalachia. So <laughs> these cartoonists are sort of introducing yeah. you know the rest of the country to this this, this yeah. slice of the world. But they do kind of touch on it in movies and TV. They had Mon Pa Kettle movies and later books yeah. like Beverly Hillbillies and Andy Griffiths and all that stuff. And yeah, but that was much later. Because I've I've heard people debate whether or not Andy Griffiths was a hillbilly show. I don't think well, it maybe... was a hillbilly show. I think it was just a small town. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I, I think it's rural. Is the rural right show? Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'd say yeah. rural would be okay. Would be True hillbilly. Yeah, you're right. You know. I mean, I, I always I always it's... thought of it as a more southern show. I mean, yeah. living in yeah. living in the Midwest now since '89, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't picture it oh. in Wisconsin, say, but. Yeah, yeah I and I said that's it. That's it. I would, as someone who grew up in Baton Rouge and and Birmingham, Alabama, and where I live now, I wouldn't picture it here either. Yeah. yeah. Although so, on Andy Griffith, if you go earlier, like a stand-up comedy, he's he's playing more country bumpkin there. So. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, oh his, yeah. His, his no time for sergeants was brilliant. I thought. Yeah. yeah. You know, but I I understand he was not the nicest of people to work with uh, during that time. Is which is. Kind of sad compared to his character, which was, right. you know, a pretty wholesome sort of character. But that has nothing to do with comic strips or comic art. Hey. <laughs> well, we're on a tangent. Um, we've been talking for a long time, so we should probably wrap it up. But I'm yep. just kind of curious. Uh, any books in the planning for you, or any? You, you yeah. mentioned you possible article. Book, you mentioned more articles for Hogan's Alley, so. What's well, coming up for you now that you're retired? What's, what's coming up for me? That's a good question. Um, I get I get the, asked that a lot now that I'm retired. Um, what's coming up for me is um, let me see. Uh, go to the shelves. My did I pull off the wrong? I pulled off the wrong thing. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I have my I have my Malden shelf here. Got the brass ring over there. <laughs> so. One, the, the next everybody thing, has the brass ring <laughs> no no i've got better than the brass ring so <laughs> i have but if uh, anybody has a malted book that's the book they have is the brass ring there we go so this was a book he self-published when he was in sicily yeah, yeah. um it's a pretty scarce book um i've got i think i've got five copies of it and for some reason this book resonated with soldiers who used them as uh, like yearbooks. And so they would pass them through the divisions. And so, you know, I've got, I've got all these copies and I have transcribed um, uh, who's on what page, where they're from. Actually found, I found somebody in here from, I found two soldiers from Wisconsin, one from Madison who was killed in action. um, And one who was about, 40 minutes north of me, yeah, 35 minutes north of me in Wausau, and his daughter is still up there. And so I sent her a picture, I found her on Facebook, sent her a picture of the page her father had signed, and she gave me some background on the stuff. So, um, you know, I've brought these in when I taught my my sort of art appreciation class. You know, I've got a whole bunch of them. I would hand them out to students um, and talk about them as historic documents and just 
kind of remind them that, you know, some of the guys who signed these didn't make it home. And some of the guys who signed these were your age and didn't make it home. So my next thing that I need to do, I don't know if it'll happen this summer or not, but I've got a, a web domain registered. I think it's billmaldenart.com. I will, um, I'm going to, it'll be sort of a blog type page again, sort of similar to the formats I'm doing now, but I'm going to feature each one of the books and picture each of the, each of the pages and then list who's on what page. Cause you know, it's my hope that family members might run across these, you know, they might do a search for their father, grandfather, great grandfather or something, and might be able to see where they were, you know, when they were stationed in Sicily or in Southern France at that time. So that's kind of a passion project for me. Cause I just stumbled across these one time and you know most people would look at this and be like who the hell wants a book with writing on the cover and i looked at it as holy cow i mean all these guys all in one place at that one time and i've you know i've done some research on some of them most of them made it home thankfully some of them didn't and then you know one guy's buried in the same graveyard in rome where uh gregor duncan's buried you know, I'd, I'd like to be able to head there someday and pay my respects to Gregor Duncan since I've done so much writing about him and stop and pay my respects to this guy's grave as well. So that's the next thing. Books, I, I don't, I doubt it. I mean, I actually wouldn't mind <laughs> writing a book about drawing. I mean, I've done, I've taught drawing for so many decades now and I've got my own approaches to teaching drawing that um, that's something I wouldn't mind considering, but it's too much work right now. You know, I've only, I've only been retired for like three months now, and I'd still like to teach some too. I'd still like to teach like a class a year or so, because oh, okay. uh, so. teaching is always the easiest part. It's not, you know, the bureaucracy. It really, it's the bureaucracy is why I retired. I just got. I have one question for you though, Rob. Before you yeah. go, yeah. So we were originally going to do this on Saturday, but you had an auction. You wanted to do it. Yes. Did you win anything? Yes, I did. I I don't have them with me, of course. Um, <laughs> the auction was in Australia. Which the the internet, I mean, so it was, I was on last night at seven. It was today, 10 in the morning for them. And so that's why, but I collect, um, I love this uh, Ginger Meg's character was an Australian uh, comic strip. Um, Jimmy Banks um, was a fantastic cartoonist. And outside of Australia, he's not very well known. And so I've collected these annuals for a number of years and I, you can't find them very easily in the States. You know, I actually, I found one piece of original art by him in Cleveland on eBay many years ago. And I found a few of them in the States, but uh, the auction last night, there was a lot of five of them, including the very first one, which I've never seen before. Um, And I don't care about condition as long as they're complete and aren't colored in. I mean, if covers are detached, I don't, I don't care about that stuff because I want them for reference. So Banks will be a future blog, will be a future blog post. I just, I've got a lot of material by him, but of him, but I just, I wanted, you know, I saw these and couldn't resist them. So yes, I did. I did win them. I was bound and determined. Uh, luckily the U S dollar is a lot stronger than the Australian dollar. So that certainly helped. I mean, that, those are things you have to take into consideration, you know, shipping from Australia is not cheap. That's got to enter into the final calculation, um, okay. but you know, part of it is um, when you've collect when you've been collecting a long time. Sometimes when you see something you've never seen before, yeah, that's the time you have to pick it up. And yeah. like I said, I've been, I've been collecting the, 
I've been collecting these annuals for about a decade now, and I've never seen the first one for I mean, sale before. Quick thought, question. Do you ever find someone that you've never seen before? And then you find yourself like only because you just bought it, you find it like weeks later or months later. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe, it, maybe it's happened some, but not, it's me. not, not very often. <laughs> You know, not 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 all that often, but it happens less often now because yeah, you have so many outlets to find things. But but you um, know what? You know, there's still there's still so much block kind of thing. There's yeah. so much there's so much stuff that goes under the radar these days. I mean, if it's not a character in spandex, you know, yeah. that's like that's like ninety percent of the collectors who aren't going to care. Yeah. And so and that's when I come in. Well, that's when I come in. Yeah, I mean, I just. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, I, I can't afford to play in that in that area anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not spending five thousand dollars for a Sal Buscema defenders page yeah. when I could have had it for fifteen bucks, you know, forty <laughs> years ago, and I didn't want it for fifteen bucks. Yeah, uh, because quite frankly, a lot of the comic book art's not very good, in my most humble opinion. But we're gonna we, <laughs> we we've 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 talked about this a long time. Mark and I have the same feeling about comic books. So I always love comic books. Comic book artists, back when they all considered themselves cartoonists in a way. Hmm. Like, you know, people like Siegel and Schuster and Kirby and all Kirby, Siegel and Schuster and Bill Finger, they all like they all labeled themselves as like great adventure artists, great adventure cartoonists in some ways. Well, also I really they... like their art more than like an artist who like you frown upon the idea of calling yourself a cartoonist when you're drawing a man, two men in spandex as a running around. Two men in tights. Yeah, you know, there. when I was a kid, though, um, I loved the Marvel Westerns. I love, you know, Kid Cult, Kid Cult Outlaw and Two Gun Kid and Rawhide Kid. I love that stuff. Um, you know, Jack Keller drew most of the Kid Cult Outlaws. He was not a good. He was not a good artist. His figures were very stiff. You know, he he just was kind of an awkward artist. Mm -hmm. But I love that stuff for nostalgic reasons. I don't have a desire to own it. I've got some of them. I've got some of those black and white soft cover Marvel reprints. Um, you know, as a kid, I love that stuff. As an adult, it's like you know, it's like I, I love uh, Gene Colan's work, but I can't look at a page and not find the flaws because his anatomy was often not very good. <laughs> And and as somebody who's done a lot of figure drawing and taught a lot of figure drawing, I can't, once you see it, you can't unsee it, you know? And so, you know, there's certain things I, I love reading. I love his Daredevil stuff. I love his Nathaniel Dusk stuff. I love, I think he was an incredible tonal artist, but I don't have a desire to own anything by him because I, I see the flaws and, you know, it's- It costs too much. What's that? All the Marvel and DC stuff probably cost too much too. Yeah, too pricey. Well, it costs too much, but to me, it's not worth it because yeah, yeah. I could get, you know, I could buy strips that I really like for a fraction, and, yeah. I, and I enjoy them a lot more. So, you know, at some point, you know, I guess some point along the way, I learned to separate the nostalgia part from, you know, yeah. from the, uh, you know, so I did, I think you mentioned, Camden, you saw the the post I did on Alex Toth on my, my blog. Yeah. I share um, that with some Hanna Barbera buffs that are really. Yeah, I, so, I never cared for the the the, the, the Hanna Barbera superheroes except action shows except Johnny Quest, Mark and I. Right. But but, but I know, but I but I love that post you did, and my friends also liked it. But so I I probably have 
I bet you I have 25 of his sketch pages. He probably sent me a dozen of them from our years of correspondence. You could still go on Anthony Snyder's site or Mitch Itkowitz's site, and you could buy those pages for 70 bucks, 100 bucks, yeah. 150 bucks. Because, but most collectors don't care about that stuff because they're sketches, they're preliminary. Where if you want to buy a published page by Toth, you're spending thousands these days. Yeah. Right. And to me, I, I look at those, I'm like, these are incredible. I mean, I love the he would get on these kind of riffs of narration in them, or he'd start playing around with planes or cars. And he liked, he liked those old Stanley steamer, Stanley steamers that he would play with. I mean, he just was always kind of riffing on different things on those sketch pages, but most collectors, they want the finished thing or they want the published thing. And I don't look at it that way. It's like, if I like it and it's, there's something you're seeing some spark there that's good enough for me. So they just happen to be cheaper too, because most collectors don't want them. That's what I said about my WhatsApp doc. I'm like, Mom, Dad, it doesn't have to look pretty. I just like it. It's just it's <laughs> a perfection thing. I like it. I like it. Anyway, so that's me. That was me. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, last question, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, Rob, how can people get in contact with you if they want to ask you a question or? Offer you some free comic Through scripts. Any there. of my my many websites are on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I mean Rob, Robert RobertRobStolzer.com is the easiest email address, and I've got um, I don't use contact forms on the websites, but my email's listed on on any of the websites. So um, if they just Google me or or Duck Duck Go me or whatever search engine ding me whatever search engine search using, yes um, they, they can find they can find me even through my university Alta Vista email yeah anyway. yep. all so, right no I'm pretty I'm pretty easy I'm pretty easy to find I mean I I've been out of the witness protection program for years now so I'm available all right well I want to wrap it up here I want to thank you Rob Stolzer and Camden Spees for being my guests today it was a wonderful conversation. Uh, all about comic strips and animation and whatever came up, you know, a yep. little Abner or whatever, you know. <laughs> all right. And, I enjoyed uh, it, guys. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next time on the next Fun Ideas podcast. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Rob Stolzer and Camden Spees, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 228 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you, and good night. Mm-hmm.